Choir room here for another character study. And yet again, as follows from the last episode, we are somewhat breaking the rules here because we are not just talking about one specific character today. We are talking about multiple. Uh, I guess last time was more about a group. If you are listening to this in uh, sequential order, we talked about all things vocal adrenaline. But here today, we are talking about a handful of characters from a specific era of the show. It is the New York City pretty much supporting characters, I guess you could call them. Uh, there's a bunch of different characters in here. We're going to talk about the role that they play here in season four and season five. We're going to talk about their songs and kind of go through all of the rankings as usual there. So excited to do so. And of course, uh, the person on the call with me is probably even more excited because this is a part of the show that he really, really loves. Aman, how is it going today? NYC just got here this morning. Three bucks, two bags, one me. I do like NYC. I do. I, you know, I feel like you can never really say that you love NYC until you live in NYC or else you're sort of just like posing. Because can you really fall in love with a place if you don't actually live and breathe all of the polluted air? <laughs> but I do love this era of Glee. Not all of these characters live within that era of Glee, but they all live in that area of that era of Glee. <laughs> so there's Wait, that. what do you mean? They don't live in that era. I mean, Cassandra July does not have, like, when you talk about the era of Glee that I like, I, I assume that you're talking about the end of season oh, five. Oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, but Cassie's not yeah, there. No, your, your main focus there. is the end of season five when they're off in that. Uh, yeah, no, this is season four and five kind of a combination. But uh, either way, right. uh, I guess I was just calling attention to the fact that you like when they go to New York. So uh, there's that. Off to a great start here uh, as we are going to talk about a bunch of different characters today. Uh, we have Cassandra July. We have Brody Weston, uh, Star Child, and Danny from season five there. And we'll kind of touch as well uh, on Isabel Wright, who we're going to meet in season four and and, uh, of course, Carmen Thibodeau, one of the uh, most prolific people, uh, characters, I guess, uh, in this era of the show. One of the characters that uh, even if they might, uh, she might be on the least. No, probably Isabel has the least amount of airtime. Actually, no, maybe even Danny. Uh, we can rank that as well later. But Carmen definitely packs a punch when she's on screen. And, uh, you know, a lot of Whoopi fans out there very excited to see her when she's around. Uh, I don't really have much to uh, set up here. Do you have any specific order that you think we should go in? Because we did not discuss this beforehand. Should we just start at the top with Cassie and Brody? or uh, bounce anywhere else what do you think you know i think the i think maybe i mean this might sound counterintuitive but i think that we might be best starting off with miss carmen thibodeau because she okay. sort of becomes the, the the foray the first foray into new york um for rachel and by proxy the rest of the characters you know it's the first person that comes from niata the first person that's you know exists without outside of the mckinley realm that you know serves the literal passage to New York. So I think it'd be cool to start with her. And of course, y'all know I'm a Whoopi Goldberg stan. So 
Yes. Always happy to talk about Miss uh, Carmen Thibodeau. Yeah, Carmen is the first one to show up here. She's going to be the only person on this list to make an appearance in season three before we even get to the season four or five era. Uh, season three is obviously when Rachel's preparing to make her, uh, you know, hopeful uh, get, like plans, putting everything together uh, in order to bring herself to New York in the following year, begin school at Niata, and of course work t- towards her Broadway dreams. And the first stop is going to be getting through Carmen Thibodeau uh, in this audition process. And as we see it play out, uh, Carmen Thibodeau shows up at McKinley uh, Kurt does a pretty decent job with his performance and Carmen's going to congratulate him. He takes like a pretty bold risk compared to what he was expecting to do there. Rachel, not so lucky, uh, if you can call it that. Uh, she does not do so well. She chokes at her audition. And the, you know, uh, for the, the next couple of episodes uh, that Carmen is around are going to be about Rachel trying to get a chance at redemption so that she can uh, correct what she had just completely flopped on and make her way to New York. You know, tra- tracking Carmen down and eventually as we see in the nationals episode getting carmen to show up uh impressing her with some good performances there and really kind of making sure that uh carmen thibodeau knows who she is and wants her at this school because the 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 hill was uh, a tall one to climb for her there played by whoopi goldberg carmen thibodeau is a stern um austere uh strict very uh bound by tradition type uh woman you know she she does not play games when it comes to niata she does not play games when it comes to the admission process or even once the students are there um she's strict on getting the students in she's strict on the students once they're it you know under her wing and uh i i i love this character i think it's just like such a, a cool reminder and uh, of like humility for rachel because Rachel has been talking such a big game um, for three seasons at this point about how much she wants to go to New York, about how she's meant to be on Broadway, about how she wants to have that 20 by 25. She has this entire plan for her life all scheduled out. And uh, Carmen is the first person that can grant her access to that dream. And Rachel gets up on that stage, completely chokes on those lyrics twice. And Carmen is like, you know what? That's it. You uh, you were only supposed to get 32 bars. I gave you however many that you just fucked up twice. It's over. There is no do-over. There is no, like, if this happens on Broadway, you get fired. You get replaced. Like, your understudy comes on. That's it. Like, there's no, there's, there's, there's no, like, <laughs> there's no dilly-dallying. She's just out of here. And I've always enjoyed that about the character because it's such a, a learning moment for, for Rachel. But Rachel comes back, of course, with her vivacious and tenacious spirit and does remind Carmen, hey... Look, I need you. I need for you to understand just how much this means to me. And I know that you know what I'm talking about because I know that your ass auditioned for Juilliard four times. That means you got declined three times. Okay, so I know that you know what I'm going through right now, and I'm just like you, just a few years younger than you are. <laughs> so um, that's kind of like where we start off with Carmen, and Carmen sort of remains that figure in her life even as Rachel gets varying amounts of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really is going to start off, uh, Carmen, this is being, you know, obviously kind of like annoyed with Rachel earlier, early on. It's not like she, you know, fully knows who Rachel is coming in. Like maybe she saw like some kind of audition tape or something that was set in, uh, sent mm-hmm. in. Uh, but still, you know, the first impression that she gets is obviously Rachel choking here. So it's going to take this consistent effort that Rachel puts in with a couple of assists along the way, both from Tina, from Jesse later on, if you can count Jesse as actually contributing or not you know 
know who's to say for sure. Uh, but you know, by having all of this, you know, continuously like brought to Carmen, like right, like like she can't escape it for the entire time from when Rachel chokes until she just eventually gives in and lets her into the school. Uh, that she can't get, you know, Rachel away from her. Uh, the persistency is really going to uh, show her how much she wants it. And then when she sees Rachel performing at nationals and sees the talent that she has, both but with both of the songs there, with "It's All Coming Back to Me Now" and then uh, you know "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," it's like okay, wow. Uh, she actually, you know, that was a fluke that one day she is going to be, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, she has potential there. So she is going to end up getting accepted. Carmen Thibodeau will send off that letter and Rachel finds that out there at the end of season three. And as time goes on, you know, into season four and five, we're not going to see Carmen much, but the uh, times that she is around, uh, it's obviously always in relation to Rachel, sometimes Kurt as well, who obviously makes his way to Niata. But like over time, she kind of grows to become like a bigger fan of Rachel. Uh, Just kind of looking at her maybe from a, a, a sense of like, like, this is my find kind of thing. Like, you know, feeling proud of like somebody that she brought into the school. Cause I imagine that Carmen Thibodeau is not the only recruiter out there, especially if she's like, you know, I mean, we know she's traveling all over Ohio, but like there's a whole uh, country that I'm sure people were, you know, auditioning in. I don't know. Maybe it's just Carmen, whatever. Either way, uh, she, she is the one that ended up, you know, finding Rachel. And now that Rachel is showing at every opportunity, both with the showcase here and the uh, freshman reaping where she does New York state of mind, uh, the freshman reaping, as Brody calls it. Uh, She just, you know, pretty much shows out for every performance. And over time, it's just like, uh, especially just at least in this beginning phase, Carmen is like, yeah, she's good. I made the right call by letting her in. And, uh, you know, it starts to improve any interactions that they have. Yeah. um, And as much as she's strict and austere and all that stuff, she does have, I mean, she's not entirely unforgiving. I mean, the fact that she gave Rachel um, another shot to not only get into Niata, but also perform well, and also with Kurt as well. Like, Kurt also auditioned, and from what we saw at at Kurt's audition, she enjoyed Kurt, and she congratulated him on such a bold performance, but I guess it just wasn't enough for him to to get into the school. But uh, after Kurt, you know, follows Rachel to New York and starts doing the Vogue.com internship and everything, and actually goes to speak with Mr., or with Mr., with Carmen Thibodeau, um, and she's like, yeah, like, I remember your performance, but you gave me surface when I was really looking for soul. We're training artists here at Niata, like, not just, you know, street performers. And, yeah, she gives him, like, a, a bit of a tongue lashing, but in the end decides to give him another shot at the Winter Showcase, which serves as his audition for Niata. And he starts off the next semester a student at Niata. So she has an eye for talent. She has an ear for talent. She knows when what she's looking for is for people that are have passion and have dedication and aren't just there for glitz and glam and fame and glory. Like, do you want to be here? Do you want to hone your craft? Do you want to actually learn what it means to be an artist? Or are you just looking for recognition and status? Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's I think that's probably my favorite thing about the character is that she's very good at discerning, you know, what is what and who is who and uh, helping people hone their gifts. Yeah, she, she has an ear for talent and somehow still lets Kurt into the school. So, you know, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. Um, but yeah, as uh, you know, as and then going into season five as well, we're still going to have her around for a little bit, which is impressive that, you know, Ryan Murphy is able to get uh, Whoopi Goldberg to stop by. Not just, you know, this is like, you know, each season is pretty much a new year of filming. So uh, three consecutive years in a row to get her to stop by for an episode here or there. So I guess, you know, uh, Whoopi was available and uh, they, you know, took the opportunity. But uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, Blaine 
is going to also end up at Niata, of course, after his senior year is all said and done. He uh, off screen is going to audition and I guess it goes much easier for him, which makes sense. The guy's pretty talented. Everything just gets uh, to him. Yes, that's uh, how things work for Blaine. Uh, they perform Broadway Baby there at that midwinter critique, and uh, this is going to kind of start to slip back into the old ways of Rachel and Carmen of uh, at the beginning, where Carmen was being a little bit more strict with her. Uh, but it's kind of, you know, I guess maybe confusing at this point why it ends up going back to that way. But as we start to see how things are developing for Rachel, and Rachel is really starting to lose control of herself and of her motivations and what she's, you know, what she's actually looking for in life, uh, we'll get to all of that with Rachel's character study but uh, you know as things start to slip with her Carmen is still out here doing her job and she's looking at these students that are performing and they completely miss the assignment here with the Broadway baby performance they were supposed to do a solo assignment and they just you know as she she calls them out saying that you guys are acting like you're above your classmates like why did you think that this was okay Uh, and she even is going to again you know give another chance Uh, like you said with the the first ever audition when she gave Rachel more time than she really should have had during that audition because she did, you know, fuck up so bad. Uh, she again here is going to say, you can do it again. Uh, do it again on this day. And Rachel's like, oh no, but that's my opening night. And Carmen's like, Rachel, this is the day you can do it. You messed up badly. This is up to you. And it's, of course, going to end up leading into Rachel quitting Niata, dropping out of Niata. So, again, a lot to get into when we talk about Rachel there. But this character is not changing. Like, Carmen is a consistent, you know, like, she's doing her job. She's, yeah, she's keeping the kids, uh, you know. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a rough, rough look for Rachel here. But, I mean, I can't blame Carmen. No, I can't blame her either. And, I mean, this is, uh, like you said, we'll talk about it more when it comes to Rachel's episode. But it, now that I'm thinking about it, this really was such a stupid thing for Rachel to do, not only because it wasn't the assignment, but to me, it seems like more work. She did this because it was under the guise of not having enough time to put together a performance, when this is the same girl that's been talking about how she has so many Broadway songs downloaded into her memory banks, into her repertoire, from years and years of practicing and honing her craft, and you decided, okay, I don't have a lot of time, so let me go ahead and grab someone else, and also have to come up with choreography and rehearse with them instead of just putting on something myself. It just makes no fucking sense. Um, And Carmen calls her out on that, calls them both out on it in front of the entire class. Like, which is, which is the reason why so many people are afraid of Carmen, but also the reason why people want to be, you know, they, they want to learn from her because she is, I mean, she knows the business and she knows what will pass and what will not. So it was Mm -hmm. so stupid on Rachel's part. And Carmen was just not here with the bullshit. Yes. So again, I look forward to talking more about Carmen and how things go uh, when we get to Rachel's podcast and talk about it from that perspective. But as far as this goes, that's really the Stormin of uh, the store the Stormin. I just said story and Carmen together. I got Stormin of Carmen Thibodeau. And that is the Stormin of Carmen Thibodeau for you. Yeah. So I mean, the last thing that I, I kind of always a little frustrated with the ending of this, because the last that we see of Whoopi Goldberg on Glee is that faded scene where Rachel walks into her office with her big girl panties on talking about, I don't need you, fuck you, fuck this town, fuck all y'all, fuck Broadway, I'm going to go be a movie star. And we just see Carmen giving her this last really like pissed off, like, okay, think long and hard, but what you gonna say next, bitch? Like, think about it. Rachel drops out, and then a season later, we get a phone call from Carmen Thibodeau to Rachel saying, you're allowed to come back to Niata if you want to. It just seems like after all of those strikes, she has to strike out at some point, even if it's been a year, a year and a half since she fucked up like that. I mean, but I guess that just goes to show the grace that Carmen still has and her eye for talent and willingness to 
accept true artists into the fold because even if Rachel fucks up, she still is a true artist. So, but it was just a, a little frustrating. I kind of, I kind of wish that she had been forced to attend another school somewhere else. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me that she gets to go back to the school of her choice after screwing up so royally more than once. Mm-hmm. But that's, I guess, yeah. that's more of a conversation for Rachel. In more, not. Yeah, not no, so I mean it. it especially you know i guess frustrating since we don't see carmen there in like season six and whatnot so we don't Mm -hmm. really like we hear about the fact that you know they're communicating or whatever but uh it's easier to hear about that rather than see it to believe it that carmen is going to be like oh yeah come on back let's you know let's make this happen again uh whatever whatever rachel was pleading there um my alternate glee universe where we're going to change things and when we get back to the writer's room has uh rachel when she walks out of carmen's office there uh santana walks in and says oh i hear you have a spot open in your Niata <laughs> class of uh, 2020 whatever uh, 29 I don't even know what year it would have been uh, and Carmen and then she pulls out her phone and it's like here here here's some footage of me completely slaying the dance class I think it's supposed to be Cassie July you know that one coked out uh, alcoholic uh, teacher that you have teaching all of these students that's actually fucking Brody the gigolo yeah I totally slayed him at this dance battle while singing a Paula Abdul classic want to accept me into the fold now alright thanks <laughs> I already live here I practically have already taken over one of your classrooms uh, let me in your school so that is in that alternate universe but uh, we'll you know have to hold off on that while we're talking realistic stuff here but it's fine um, anything else from you on Carmen before we swing back around and probably talk about Brody and Cassie no, uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's all that we get from my beloved Whoopi on Glee. Shout out to Whoopi Goldberg for uh, stopping by Glee and giving us a uh, pretty fun character to, uh, again, just anytime that she popped up on the on the screen, anytime she was there in the episode, uh, it was uh, nice to see her. So there's that. But... Let's move on and talk about some other guest stars here, um, if you can call them. Well, one of them is a guest star. We have Kate Hudson, who plays Cassandra Cassie July. And we have Dean Geyer, who is uh, not quite like, you know, a guest star uh, from what? Brit- uh, I, Australia's Got Talent, right? Is that what Rosie was telling us he was from? I believe so. Something. Forgive something us, Rosie, show, if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> uh, Brody Weston the two of them are going to show up here in season four and uh, be also pretty big players in the life of one Rachel Berry of course Brody as a bit of a love interest and over the rest of the se- as the season goes on um, yeah we'll talk about how that all plays out but not I was because I was going to say like uh, from like a love interest to like an enemy but he's not really an enemy they kind of end on you know Specific terms, we'll talk about it. Uh, And then Cassie being the enemy for sure there, the one that is going to uh, take whatever energy Carmen Thibodeau was bringing in of like, I'm watching you, like you have to be on your toes uh, around me while you are here in New York and at the school of your dreams and bring it up to like a hundred and take it and turn that into this character. So we meet both of them in uh, the first episode of season four, The New Rachel, and we're really going to uh, start to find out who they are here for Rachel in, in her life. Yeah. Um, oh God, Cassie, she sucks, man. She sucks. And they do this weird thing, the writers, with this character by trying to ultimately turn it into this big life lesson that's all part of the plan for Rachel. And it just, it just pisses me off. Like, um, this woman from Jump is completely on Rachel's neck. And on one hand, you're like, yes, finally someone's going to give it to Rachel. It's such a, 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 a cool thing to see her after all of this time about her talking to Big Game to coming 
to New York and then getting struck down in her dance class, um, especially since she's seemingly having such a good time in all of her other classes. At least that's what she tells Kurt. So on one hand, it's nice to see that. But on the other hand, it's like, why Rachel? Like, what about the rest of these kids here? Like, are you telling, are you really meaning to tell me that Rachel, the girl that's been in dance classes since she's, like, been in utero, is the worst dancer you've ever seen? It just doesn't make any sense. It just seems physically <laughs> impossible. Uh, but she makes her disdain for Rachel known from the jump. Like, I don't like you. You have, like, this really stuck-up attitude. It's really pissing me off. Uh, you gotta go. You gotta go. You don't have sex appeal. You're awkward. <laughs> you move like in your body like you're ashamed of it. You, it's just like what? Like this is abuse. This is emotional abuse. Yeah. So over time, like the way that the season's gonna play out for you know specifically, I guess Cassie and Rachel is just that uh, we get to know Cassie a little bit more, and we find out that she is like a former, uh, you know, wanted to be on Broadway, and you know the all of that did not work out for her, so she ended up here at Niada teaching, and uh, she has a couple of kids that get through to be on Broadway, and in the first opening seconds of her first class, Dance 101, she tells them, you know, uh, maybe two of you will ever make it into the business. Uh, the rest of you out here are pretty much just wasting your time and. Uh, and she is she's harsh on all of them right off the bat, uh, you know, uh, just in terms of like being mean. Uh, she's calling them muffin top rice cakes. And that's how Rachel kind of gets uh, like that's how they immediately get into a confrontation here, because Rachel is looking at Cassie like, wow, uh, that's uh, not what I expected uh, on, on day one here. And Cassie notices Rachel noticing her and uh, Rachel's going to immediately get the name uh, Schwimmer here, as apparently she looks like David Schwimmer. Um, and Cassie's not going to, you know, get like you said, she's on her neck from the step uh, from the jump here, and she's not going to take her foot off for the entire length of the time that they spent together. She's like, "Oh, I bet you were such a big star back in Iowa. Um, actually, uh, Ohio, mm, even better." Uh, she's like, "What did you come to New York all the way down here just to show me how to run my class?" Uh, and over the you know course of even just this first class that they have, it's barely been you know twenty minutes, and she's like, "Rachel, you suck. Your attitude is pissing me off." Like I like I, she would love to kick her out of the class right then and there and get rid of her. Um, you like and. It's not even like you can say it's because, oh, she recognizes Rachel's talent. Like, we have not gotten there yet. Rachel, Rachel hasn't sang a note, uh, danced a single, you know, dancer, nothing. Uh, not a single anything has happened yet. But just the way that Rachel is looking at her is pissing Cassie off. And Cassie is, uh, you know, we're going to also learn about her over time that she is a bit of a drinker. Um, so uh, who's to say how, you know, what what state of mind she is coming into this class here today or ever. Um, but yeah, so this is just the edge that she has to her. And she has a very short fuse. Uh, and Rachel is very good at easily setting it off there. Um, so Cassie is going to, you know, like, just call Rachel. Rachel out say like you're you're not good in this class like you're you're not picking up on anything that I'm teaching you uh, and she's gonna insist all along that it's just motivation just trying to you know motivate you to be better uh, she's even gonna show off in the first class there with that performance of Americano dance again uh, mashup to be like look I know what I'm doing I am amazing I should be like uh, on Broadway not teaching you all but this is who I am you are gonna respect me because this is what I can do and it doesn't quite work the way that I guess Cassie would hope because Rachel's not one to back down so much like Rachel's going to consistently stand up for herself um, and I guess over time that kind of gives Cassie a little bit of like not respect for her but it kind of raises her eyebrows a little bit to see that Rachel isn't just cowering like I'm sure many other of Cassie's students have done before uh, Rachel's going to kind of stand up for herself and even if Cassie like pushes her down a little bit Rachel's kind of going to get back up and be like I'm not going anywhere like this is Niata. I'm here to learn and 
and you show me what you need to show me. If you have to yell at me, yell at me. So uh, that's just kind of the intro here. And uh, we haven't even talked about Brody yet, but uh, she's going to use Brody along the way after meeting him to kind of confide in him about a lot of this stuff. And Brody knows Brody knows Cassie. Uh, he knows about her. He knows of her. He's been in her class or whatever before. So uh, he really is going to be able to kind of calm her back down and be, calm Rachel down and be like, look, this is this is Cassie. You got to live with it. I mean, she really shouldn't have to live with it. I mean, Rachel clocks her on her alcoholism, like, on day three of class um, when, you know, Cassie clearly has issues with um, her own self-image and her where she's at in life right now because one of her former students talks about how they just booked a gig. Or not a gig. They just booked Wicked. Excuse me. They're being a flying monkey in the Wicked on Broadway. And then, I guess, to deal with the pain of her own career going down the tubes, she you know, decides to have a couple before class. Um, alcohol, or, uh, Rachel clocks her on that. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I, was to, I, don't, I don't know why I call it Rachel alcohol. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alcohol Barry, and I'll be singing <laughs> Inebriated State of Mind. <laughs> you know, Finn and Alcohol, that classic couple from, from Glee. Uh, alcohol chill boozy boozy berry that's me anyway. um but yeah she's a uh, yeah she's a uh, and she is she's going to use brody as a bit of a tool here as well in trying to really get at rachel um brody is also a student at niata we meet him at the beginning of season four he's you know uh sexy guy really good voice we meet him singing in the shower just how we sort of meet, uh, as an audience, we meet Finn singing in the shower. Um, Rachel is instantly, you know, kind of into him. He is straight. Uh, he's kind of into her, too. He just, um, Cassie asks him to be a TA, which, you know, that's going to bring him and Rachel closer together because then he'll be around for her classes more. Um, but... Cassie's going to see that Rachel likes Brody and Brody's kind of feeling Rachel and he's like being supportive and like taking her out on the town and, you know, trying to help her get over Finn and, you know, making making sure that she gets her first makeover. Then she can really be a real New Yorker and all this shit. Um, And it goes so far, even so far as for Cassie to offer Rachel and Kurt her air miles so that she can go home to go see Finn while they do grease back at McKinley so that she can go ahead and sleep with Brody and then answer Brody's phone when Rachel calls to talk about Finn and talk about how she fucked him. That's how far this grown ass woman goes to fuck with this 18 year old, 18 years old. This is the length of which she, this is, this is how far she has fallen. She used to be on Broadway, mind you. Like, can we let that sink in? This woman was on Broadway, originating roles, okay? Years ago. Now she's stuck teaching dance classes to Broadway wannabes and fucking their potential future rebound boyfriends. Yes. And then calling them about it. So... Yeah, so that's why these characters are pretty much linked here as far as, you know, the discussion we're having about them because it's just, you know, they, they really kind of intertwine all the way throughout the season. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of time towards the end where Cassie's not around as much and Brody and Rachel explore more about their relationship, which just to kind of set that up from the beginning again, yeah, as Amon was talking about, you know, they meet uh, with Brody in the shower and all of that stuff. And Brody picks up kind of early on here about uh, the fact that Rachel is still thinking about Finn, like looking through pictures of uh, him in her phone and 
and he realizes that you know there's a guy in her life that she's either still not over or still with uh, and Rachel even says you know I haven't talked to him in two months maybe I shouldn't be calling him my boyfriend but uh, you know that's another story so as uh, you know the season starts uh, as, as the two of them kind of start to get not like like close but just kind of like spend more time with each other I guess uh, the two like he's gonna help her with that uh, oops I did it again performance to try to show Cassie that she has sex appeal because you know Cassie called her out on that um, and uh, Brody's gonna come by the apartment one day uh, he's talking about how he really likes being like around her dancing with her he leans in for a kiss like early on here it's episode two of season four and she's gonna stop it and stop the moment because she still has Finn on the mind uh, and Brody's like all right I get it but like just so you know anytime that you and I are together I'm probably gonna be thinking about kissing you and she's like well nothing I can do about that and he's he's hot right she, she wants to be around him she wants to spend time with him she Finn is nowhere to be seen uh, as much as she's still thinking about him this like beautiful man is right by her side who's dancing with her and 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 just like you know like, uh, singing together in the next uh, in the makeover episode they get a change would do you good together as Brody's trying to be like Rachel this is New York you gotta like embrace it get your makeover and Rachel and Brody like, they have dinner together uh, which Brody's so impressed about because you know for the first time he's well, he's saying this is the first time that a woman's ever cooked him dinner before so uh, he like this seems to be going somewhere but as we see at the end of makeover uh, it gets a little awkward because uh, who's going to show up at the apartment as Brody and Rachel are spending some time together but one Finn Hudson uh, so that kind of makes things awkward kind of puts a halt to things happening here uh, of course Finn's going to be here for an entire episode and we get to the breakup which is going to be uh, their story there uh, even though Brody and Rachel do sing together in that episode give your heart a break but that's you know really Finn noticing that there's something going on with Rachel and this guy and like kind of pushing to see like is this real like go go sing with him like let me see what's happening up there is there chemistry and he does feel like there is and Rachel's going to later have to admit that yes uh, Brody and I have kissed uh, so you know they kissed right before Finn got there so uh, Finn has to deal with that Rachel has to deal with that now Brody is uh, getting mixed signals from Rachel and that all is what leads up to that episode uh, there in Glees where as you mentioned uh, Brody is not going to have much regard for Rachel or her feelings or anything like that he's gonna go ahead and when Cassie comes on to him I mean Cassie's also pretty hot right so she's gonna come on to him and they're gonna sleep together and Brody doesn't really even second guess it because Rachel's still not over her ex-boyfriend so uh, they weren't in any kind of committed relationship there wasn't anything happening there Cassie decided to be Cassie and make that move there uh, telling Rachel that she needs a reality check because I mean as the season uh, plays out between Rachel and Cassie Rachel's like consistently making comments towards her being like, oh, you know, like when you get back in the game or like, you know, you should try out for this role or whatever, like suggesting career moves to this woman who is like already insecure about a lot of it and like does not want Rachel Berry giving her suggestions for her life. So, yeah, uh, Cassie gives her that reality check. Brody, again, doesn't really think much of it because it's just, you know, he's sleeping with somebody. Rachel's still with this guy, whatever. That's the deal there. But obviously it does kind of hurt Rachel a little bit and uh, it when they go, we get to the Thanksgiving episode, uh, the two of them are going to discuss like, okay, so what is this? Where are we at? Are we going to try to make this anything? Like we have to be adults about this, even though Rachel is not, you know, that's not Rachel's first instinct uh, to be an adult about it. She's like, you slept with my enemy. And he's like, you were, your boyfriend's here. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he does give Rachel a bit of reality check. Like this isn't high school anymore. This isn't like, you know, this whole, he said, she said, um, you know, uh, kids table shit is no. I mean, even though they're both so relatively young, I mean, he's a little older than what she's like. He's like what two years older? He's like what twenty years old at this point? No, he's a senior. Is he a senior? He's probably like twenty two. Um, 
21, 22-ish. Around there. Um, They're both adults. Um, And so it is, I guess it is a bit of a wake-up call for Rachel. It's like, yeah, you guys aren't together, and you definitely went to go back to go see Finn. So, like, why was he supposed to feel any kind of remorse um, for... I mean, it, it really he is, and he doesn't have any fault in the situation. All of the fault in the situation really falls on Cassie because that was completely inappropriate on her end. But in an effort to make amends between the two of them, Rachel does invite him over for Thanksgiving. So they have their orphan Thanksgiving. Shangela stops by. Uh, Isabel Wright stops by. Uh, the rest of the cast of season four of Drag Race. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so it's... Yes. Um, yeah, it's a, it, they, they, they seem to be on better terms heading into the latter half of season four until things unfortunately take a turn once the one and only Santana Lopez shows up on the scene. Yeah, uh, as we get into, uh, you know, we're, we're still going to see the two of them be kind of like together uh, and whatnot, but uh, things are going to start to get a little bit hairy uh, when Santana does show up. But yeah, uh, Cassie and Rachel are, are going to continue to be feuding. Rachel gets invited to perform at the Winter Showcase and Cassie's like, uh, yeah, you're not ready for that. Uh, you're not even much better from when we started here. So I don't know why you think that you'd be ready to do anything like that. Rachel's going to, you know, continue to hold her ground against Cassie. Uh, the two of them have a bit of a diva off singing all that jazz uh, and Rachel by the end of it admits to Cassie that look you might be better than me at least at the whole performing and the uh, and the and the dance of it all but uh, I am just as good of a singer if not better and it gives her that confidence to go into the showcase and you know focus on just specifically that her vocals uh, for those performances which is how she she plays it uh, her and Brody uh, or Brody is there to support her for that and they share a kiss before she goes on to stage and uh, you know so that's that um, and and then uh, the two of them are just kind of go about the season in this middle section, kind of being happy together. They have a small fight about how Brody shows up late for dinner once, but they kind of quickly get over it. And they're like, you know what? Things are going well. Brody, you should move in. And he does. Uh, he moves in. He makes himself nice and comfortable there, uh, you know, walking around the house naked, showing up to breakfast naked and pissing off Kurt, which still confuses me about why Kurt would be pissed off. And I think you understood what Kurt was feeling, but I was still like, OK, but Kurt. Brody's walking around your house naked, so what are you complaining about? But whatever. Um, it's going to be, you know, things are all going great so far. Obviously, uh, things are going to take a big shift, though, because Rachel's going to head back home and go to the wedding, or the supposed-to-be wedding, of uh, one Will Schuster and Miss Emma Pillsbury. Uh, and while she's there, she spends some time with Finn. While she's there, Brody spends some time with others and when they return back to each other uh back rachel comes back home to new york uh and the two of them catch up i guess rachel sees that the whole place has been decorated with like flowers because brody i guess missed her a little bit uh or a lot of it but both of them are kind of coming into this now with secrets about what happened while they were separated and uh they're not going to be fully honest with each other and that is what leads to the downfall of brochel yeah, Brody uh, is a gigolo. Santana knew it. Uh, Kurt may have known something was a little off, but he didn't really want to admit it to himself because then he'd have to tell Rachel, and then Rachel would just be in shambles, and Rachel's already in shambles because of the whole Finn thing. So, yeah, he ends up finding out because Santana does end up calling Finn, and Finn takes the bullet train over to New York and then <laughs> almost takes a bullet to uh, Brody's face um, and tells him to stay away from his future wife. Rachel's going to find out. Um, 
and she's going to thank Santana for having Finn come over and defend her honor. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's it's a shitty end because at some point like you were saying, we do get to see Brody and Rachel sort of like date and seem relatively happy. It seemed like um Brody did sort of bring Rachel a little out of her shell towards like the middle of season 4. Um we got to see Rachel sort of like mature a little bit and of course, some of that is just, you know, her maturing on her own as a young woman living in New York City. But I think some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, she has this boyfriend and she's got a, a, a bit more confident and he's, you know, teaching her things and taking her out and all sorts of stuff. And so it seemed like it was a, a nice relationship, but it, you know, it wasn't all the way nice because he couldn't be honest about the things that he was doing. And it's not like his what he was doing is all is all that bad within itself. I mean, sex work is a thing. People do it to make ends meet. He was doing it to put himself through school. Not everybody got it like that. Some people have to do what they need to do to to survive in this world. It is what it is. But you can at least be honest with people, especially if you are fucking them. (laughs) Like, do not, do not sell your body, then come back to my bed and then try to, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. It's just that that's messed up. It's just all about the honesty about all of it. Yeah. The the fact that he, you know, isn't telling Rachel about what's going on because he is sleeping with a variety of different women. And again, yeah, that's uh, sex work is work. But like uh, the fact that he doesn't tell Rachel about it is what really kind of makes him the villain in all of this, which is not the perspective from the show. And that's the thing that I, at least I specifically remember uh, that I've always not uh, enjoyed about this because they really put the, uh, the, the villain status on him. uh, What seems, it seems like because of just what he's doing, uh, like they don't really kind of make it, clear enough to me that the problem is that he's not telling Rachel because obviously it's like it's different things here right but there's a lot of similarities involved as well like Rachel went home and she did sleep with Finn that's something that she should be telling Brody as well it's a different partner that she had just slept with and you know it's just it's kind of important information especially if these two were in a committed relationship Brody had moved in at this point and Brody doing what he's up to you know they they both needed to exchange some information Uh, I mean the, the information that Rachel came in honestly the information that both of them came in with uh, would have probably ended the relationship unless they were really about to be like, no, we are adults. We can get through this together. But I mean, Rachel's still pretty young. Uh, this doesn't seem like that's exactly how it would have gone. So it's just really the downfall here of all of this. So Brody, you know, we're going to get more of an insight on how things are going with him with all of this, because, you know, he's going to do that. How to be a heartbreaker performance where we see it like, you know, like right in front of her eyes, exactly what's happening here. And he has a conversation with like a very quick scene there uh, right before he goes goes and uh, enters that hotel room with some guy outside he's talking to and he's like this isn't my thing yeah I just need the money for school so uh, you know it's not presented as him trying to be awful but you know both parties are wrong here Brody and Rachel not telling each other what's going on and Santana also you know the the meanwhile who is doing all the investigating to find out what's going on here she got got it wrong at first she thought that he was dealing drugs but you know whatever Um, so the two of them are just not going to end up working out Uh, Brody is going to end up uh, you know being confronted by both Santana and Finn. Things get a little bit physical in that hotel room and not in the way that things had been getting physical for him. Uh, so Brody's going to end up having to leave. He gets, you know, have to, uh, packing up from the apartment, heading out, and, and Rachel kind shit. of... Th- they kind of end without any real, you know... He doesn't really explain to her details of what was going on, but it's just kind of like a mutual understanding of like, this is over. Both of us are really not in this for, uh, you know, it's just not exactly where we need to be right now. So it's done. Yeah, I mean, well, no, he. It does end on a like when she finds out, right? Because uh, Santana, who tells him? Who tells her? 
Santana tells her, right? Yeah, no, Santana and Rachel, uh, Santana and Finn both, like, found out what was going on. Santana made an appointment with with Brody and then reported back. So it's not that she doesn't know what's happening, but, uh, you know. She doesn't know initially. Like, Like, he moves out out without an explanation. He moves out without an explanation, and then she finds out and then confronts him by trying to pay him with cash. Like, oh, so, like, <laughs> which which was kind of fucked up on Rachel's part. Like, I mean, I get that she's she's pissed because this is disgusting. You didn't tell me. But, like, at the same time, it's like, okay, like, the guy is just trying to put himself through school. Like, give him a break. Um, and so they, they, they do end up singing Creep together, which I love this performance between the two of them. It sucks that it's about this situation in particular, but it's a good duet nonetheless. So that's the end of Brochel. They're, you know, not going to uh, make it too long. But as far as Brody, you know, his existence on the show, um, I, I'm positive that I said this as well at the time. I just really appreciated him as a character. Um, I think that he was, uh, you know, they didn't like, you know, give him too much any of like personal kind of content. But the role that he played for Rachel after all of the time that she had spent with Finn, uh, I think he was like a really good, uh, like good kind of level headed person to be by her side, kind of like talking her through everything that was happening with Cassie that she was dealing with. Uh, and you know, like uh, again, he talks about we're adults. We have to do all, talk about all of this in an adult way. Like I, I you know, c- can you blame him specifically for the fact that he slept with Cassie? Uh, no, I mean, Rachel was with Finn. Brody did something that, you know, of course he knew that Rachel wasn't going to be happy with that, but again, they weren't together. So that's that. But overall I do take away uh, that Brody uh, is a character that I enjoy and uh, the ending that they gave him i think they could have written a little bit better to just make clear uh what the problem was there on both ends of things but brody's out uh not cassie just yet because rachel is going to uh have one more run-in with cassie july who presumably they've been meeting up plenty of times because she was teaching one of rachel's classes but uh we didn't see her much in the middle section there but rachel got the call back for funny girl and uh she's gonna run into cassie one more time before she actually has uh has that call back yeah, so um, everyone at Neodon knows that Rachel is going out for Fanny Bryce. There are students that are up her ass about it. There are students that are trying to tear her down. Cassie seems like she is about to tear her down one last time by rescheduling her final exam so that she does, she is really putting the pressure on um, to schedule the exam as close as possible to the callback. Um, but then when Rachel goes in for the callback, the entire character of Cassie July gets thrown down the drain. Turns out this was all a ruse. This entire season of bitchery and fuckery was all to make Rachel stronger for this very moment. Because from the moment that Rachel walked into her dance studio, Cassie July just knew that Rachel had what it takes to make it in this business. She knew that Rachel was the chosen one that would restore balance to the force and reclaim the throne of all that is good and righteousness in this world. They sing a Stevie Wonder song, no less in Wonderful. And that's it. Rachel says, thank you. <laughs> and Cassie leaves. And that's the end of Cassie July. Yes. If, if you listen to these recaps at the time that we recorded them, you know that Amon was really not into the ending here. Um, I'm pretty sure that I was not as uh, annoyed about it. I get it. I get, uh, you know, the frustration that you had and like the way that you explained it all. I totally got it. Um, I guess I just didn't care as much. I, if that doesn't, you know, not to sound like I don't care, but just I, I guess I didn't care as much. Um, you know, this character is not any kind of like lead character where you were feeling genuinely invested. Like we didn't know, like, we yeah, we knew that she was kind of, uh, you know, a bit into the into the alcohol and that she was, you know, a failed performer or whatever you would want to call her by that means. But she was, you know, specifically a role in Rachel's life. And the story is ultimately 
ultimately going to be about Rachel. So Rachel gets her happy ending by getting away from the bad guy in Brody because he's presented, like I said, as that like awful monster there. And uh, then you also have here that she's getting away from Cassie and kind of coming out on top uh, with all sunshine and rainbows. So, But she uh, doesn't get away from Cassie. That's the problem. It's that she's not getting away from Cassie. Cassie gets away from herself like the the if they if they want to wrap this up in a tight little bow and I, like i'm only harping on it once again because we are talking about cassie july but if they wanted to if they wanted to wrap this up in a nice little fairy tale ending bow then cassie has to be the the stepsisters in cinderella she has to get what is coming to her she has to sit there and watch as rachel becomes cinderella not become the fairy godmother herself that makes no fucking sense like why does she spend all of this time antagonizing this girl going so far as to sleep with her future boyfriend only to make it a lesson in the end especially like in and like her being an alcoholic that is trying to deal with her own failures and having to teach all of these kids that will eventually surpass her in their careers. That's compelling. That's something that I want to watch. That's a villain that I'm like invested in because it's a sympathetic villain at that point, right? Like you see why she is the way that she is, but then you turn it on its head and turn her into, into this benevolent figure that is completely disjointed from what she was. It makes no sense. I don't understand if this was Kate Hudson's last day on set, and y'all didn't have her for very much longer, and I needed to find a way to send her ass into the glee abyss, then do so. But why do it like this? Like, why have her go down in flames as this, uh, like, oh, everything is all right. Uh, Why did she become Mr. Shoe? (laughs) Why did she become, like, this knockoff of Holly Holiday? You know, honestly, like, the... the the, the reason probably specifically was just so that she could get one final performance. Maybe they could have like given her like if, if they were going to give her that kind of ending that you're suggesting of like, you know, let Rachel have the happy ending. But why does Cassie need it? Like, I get that. Um, maybe give her some kind of like villainous song to sing and be like, no, Rachel, exactly. you're fuck up because this is uh, one more reminder of how good I am and how bad you are. Um, but they give her this like positive, happy, uplifting song to go out on. And if, if she's saying uptight, everything's all right. Uh, and then no, set, everything like is not all right. Thing, it wouldn't have made okay? sense. Okay, <laughs> everything is not all right. There are some things uptight, but it's not all right. I just, mm-hmm. I just, I, 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 it just seems like such a misfire to me. It really does, and I didn't quite yeah. understand what my issue, what my ire was with that character when I first watched this season. But now, now I do. After all these years, I'm like, yeah, that, that really bugs me that they really did that to that character because it seemed, as much as I, I hated the character, I mean, I hated the character because the character was scandalously evil. And then you turn her into this 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 shadow of who she was and just and the fact that it was and the fact that this episode comes after what? How many episodes of her being absent? I think the last time that we'd seen her was in Swan Song. Yeah, Swan Song is what? Season, oh, so yeah, episode nine. Episode ten. It's but it's the song before the Christmas special. So whatever episode mm-hmm. the Christmas one is, it's the, it's the episode before that. And Wonderful is like what? The third the third to last? Or the second to last? I think it's like episode twenty or twenty one, something like that. Twenty one. So over big gap a big ass gap and that's how the character it just something it's just something something went awry something went amiss i'm not really sure what but something so we got us we got a big thumbs down on and the ending for cassie july but uh uh kate hudson i feel like has been in the news a little bit lately i don't know what for but Has i she? feel like i've seen her I haven't noticed a handful of times i don't know what it's about but i feel like i have seen that i've also seen dean geyer and not in the news but in something else I just wish that like if they if they if they if this was going to be her last episode that they had done something where she tries one last time to 
to fuck with Rachel or, you know, one last ditch effort to prove to Rachel that she is not good enough to make it in this business. I don't know. Like, I mean, they, they made Santana go out for Fanny Bryce in season five. How about let's make, uh, let's make, let's make Cassie July go out for Fanny Bryce. I mean, she's not, she's not a young, wide-eyed ingenue, as she said, but she's also not no old-ass turkey either. I'm sure she could probably still pass this fame. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, there are old people, not old people, but there are older women that play Elphaba on Broadway every day. I think the oldest person to ever play Elphaba on Broadway is probably, like, in their 40s, okay? Like, so her career does not have to be over. Like, that would have been more compelling for me right. to watch. And she fails, obviously, because of Rachel's story and Rachel succeeds. That would be more interesting. But whatever. Okay, I'm done. Let me stop. All right. Yeah, I got nothing else here as well. But uh, there's there's Cassie July. There's Brody Weston. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more when we get to their song performances and all that kind of stuff there at the end. But let's switch gears and talk about uh, one last guest star of season four, Isabel Wright, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. I always feel like I'm getting the name wrong. That's, that's it. That's who this is, right? It's Parker okay. Jessica Sarah. Um, no, stop. I mean, I, I knew I knew the order of the names, but like sometimes I just always think that it's like Jessica Sarah Parker. I don't know. There's like. There's there's like a Sarah Michelle Keller, right? That's a different person. I just always feel like I'm getting it wrong. Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, uh, yeah, one of these days I'm gonna come in here and be like, oh yeah, Sarah Bonina right. Brown, Rodham Clinton. <laughs> yeah, too many names. Uh, yes, Isabel Wright here, who is not going to be around for long in this season. Not going to be any kind of like super significant character. But we talk about all these characters that come in to be supporting for Rachel, uh, and here we have a character who's brought in to be. Uh, a supporting character for Kurt Hummel. And, uh, you know, he is Rachel's right hand in New York. So, you know, it's not like uh, too much of a surprise, I guess. But uh, either way, uh, Isabel Wright is going to be here. And as you kind of mentioned, uh, I think you said the words fairy godmother a little bit earlier, which is uh, a great tie in because that's how I've always viewed Isabel Wright uh, in this specific character here uh, for Kurt. She is just going to be an angel sent from heaven above to kind of guide him as he shows up uh, to, to work at Vogue for a little bit. And as the season goes on to just kind of, you know, be a, a positive uh, voice in his life for the issues that he's running into with Blaine. And then later on, she's going to be kind of helping Santana through a little bit of an internal struggle she's going through with the ballet of it all. So uh, Isabel Wright, not, not a whole lot here, but uh, still worth talking about of just you know her the, the role she plays here i don't know yeah she she is the antithesis of what cassie july um is look i'm still got cassie july on the brain i'm just <laughs> i'm just i'm so butthurt oh my god get over it i'm on but um yeah she you know but she really is in all honesty she whereas rachel is dealing with all this bullshit over there kurt just walks into Vogue.com. I mean, he might as well have just been handed some champagne, some moist towelettes, like the red carpet is just rolled out for him. She's like, oh, Kurt, you, 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 you fashion visionary, that hippo brooch. Oh my God. I want a hippo brooch. It's the next big thing. You deserve to be on the red carpets for everything. Paris. Milan, darling, Milan, everywhere. Just you're 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 perfect. Show stopping, never been done before. Eat on it, shit on it, everything. I won't do the whole Lady Gaga quote this whole time, but that's essentially 
what she is. Like, she's so kind to him. He walks in. He's so nervous. He feels like he's probably not going to get it. He walks in on a whim. You know, well, not necessarily on a whim because he does do a lot of preparation for it. He puts together his portfolio. He talks, uh, puts together all of his writings, his his bloggings, all of that stuff, all of his ideas, all of the all of the fashion outlets that he has. He brings it to the table, and she decides to hire him because I mean, not only does he come in with that hippo brooch on, but he comes in with the knowledge, just the just the right amount of flattery on her behalf, you know, to get to get her interested. And she's like, look, this is the place for for dreamers. This is the place where you should be. Like, I, you remind me so much of myself. You remind me of a young Sue Sylvester. And I want you in this office. And the rest is kind of history from Sue there. Sue Sylvester? Yes, I was making the joke because Sue always says that. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she really does, like you said, roll out the red carpet for him. Just kind of show him the way, lead the path. And it's just so funny. Like, you know, you expect that uh, in that first episode that, you know, after she got him the job and all that stuff that Kurt, like, maybe, like, totally fucks it up because him and Rachel sneak in to give Rachel the makeover. And she's like, oh, no, this is great. I'm so glad you're here. Let's sing together the way you look tonight. And, you know, you're never fully dressed without a smile. <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, and she's going to kind of recognize Kurt's gift that he has in fashion kind of talk to him a little bit about that be like i know you want to be a performer and stuff but like maybe you should consider like this uh career path for you you seem to be really good at it um the the time that she you know spends with kurt talking about blaine is really nice because uh kurt really needs that guidance in his life and i guess bert's not around at the moment to really kind of help him through it so uh you know well he's not not around he's just home uh and he's actually going to show up pretty soon but uh not just yet uh so you know the two of them uh kurt and blaine are going to end up talking and then uh, you know, back at that Thanksgiving di- uh, get together with, of course, uh, the infamous Let's Have a Kiki, Turkey Lurkey time. Uh, after that is all said and done, Isabel and Kurt are going to have one like last hug there because Kurt's feeling a lot better that he talked to Blaine and that they're going to see each other in a couple of weeks for Christmas. So that's all well and good. And then there in the last episode that they all have together where she's going to invite him to the New York uh, Ballet Gala and tell him to bring your friends like it's going to be a fun event. Uh, bring Santana, bring Rachel. And they do all come, even though Santana was a little bit hesitant to uh, to be there, but Isabel is going to like you know implore in Santana be like, look, all of us, every single little girl on earth wanted to be a ballerina, you know, growing up. So embrace the time that you are here, uh, enjoy it, look around. We're gonna get up on the stage and sing together. And uh, after they sing that song together at the ballet, Santana is kind of like you know got a little bit of uh, hesitation, a little bit of like you know sadness, fear within her that is becoming clear to everybody around and. Uh, uh, she's kind of worried, you know, she's thinking about this dream that she had about being a ballerina, like Isabel said, you know, that, that was true for her. She's like, what am I like, what am I doing here? Like, what's, you know, how am I chasing any of my dreams? I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of like a lost right now. I don't really have a direct path in front of me of what I think I'm doing next. And Isabel, you know, kind of calms her down a little bit. And she's like, look, you, you can do it. You can make any of your dreams come true in that like Disney fairy tale like line kind of thing of just... Uh, if you if you can dream it, you can be it. And, uh, you know, it's it's corny. But uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Nina Bonina Brown makes it work there. And, uh, you know, I think she's a very nice addition, a very nice character here in the season. Yeah, I, I like I, I'm pretty sure I've said this already. Um, actually, I'm, I know that I said this already, but I, I don't know why. I, well, I do know why. I felt like this character was in so many more episodes. And it's because I was so obsessed. This was at the height of my Glee fandom that I was like rewatching episodes so often back then after they'd aired 
at the height of season four, I was always be watching episodes. So to me, in my memory, it feels like um, Isabel Wright was such a bigger part of season four. But when it's just really just boiled down to three separate episodes. But I also think that that's just a testament to just how lovely the character actually is. Yes, it's very it's very fairy tale. It's a little maybe it's a little unrealistic that Rachel or Kurt was able to make such a strong friendship um, with with this big wig at Vogue.com and this very big wig at Vogue.com was so nice to Kurt in, in return and also to the rest of Kurt's friends and is lending dresses and, 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 and you know, all sorts of just benevolent acts of kindness, right? Um, but, I mean, I think that Isabel really is just, like, a representation of, like, all of the good things that can happen in the city of New York if you are in the right place at the right time um, and just sort of, like, stay true to the things that you want. Like, it doesn't have to be a hardship all the time. Um, and even at the height of success in which Isabel is presumably at, it's still not that easy. I mean, she's literally confiding in Kurt most of the time about how, like, all of her ideas, she feels completely out of touch with what um, fashion should be in the present day. It feels like all of her ideas are so, like, just, like, gone. Her creative uses are not flowing anymore because now she's at the top of her game or at the top of this food chain, as it were, and is the person that gets to say yes and no as opposed to the one that was knocking on the doors, like she said, instead of bolting them shut. So um, I think the, the character was easy, simple, sweet. I would have enjoyed more, but I'm glad that we got what we got. Also feels like uh, a character like this is like funny that, you know, we are here on a Glee podcast diving deep into like the Glee universe. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like hardcore Glee fans out there that like love the show, love the songs, love the characters and are like, wait, who's Isabel Wright? Like, what, who is that again? <laughs> but you're like, not a, you're like, not a real Glee fan then. <laughs> anyone who might have like tuned out maybe there uh towards this time or whatever but i don't know out of all the characters we've talked about so far i feel like that's a, a good candidate for the the person people most likely might have forgotten but uh we love her she's great so glad that uh that character existed and uh that's really all that i have about her and uh, i guess we can move on to the final two characters that we're talking about here in this new york city era star child it's elliot star child gilbert and danny Na- uh, last name unknown we can should we come up with the last name for her do you want what should her last name be Lovato. danny danny lovato, lovato. yeah <laughs> danny lovato i mean <laughs> honestly not, not the worst idea danny lovato I mean, why not <laughs> all right it's like the reverse of raven like raven baxter like she kept her first name but changed her last and now she's you know changing her first keeping her last so danny lovato <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So we meet Danny Lovato there early on in season five. She's a fellow waitress at the Spotlight Diner alongside, you know, Rachel and Santana. And very quickly, Santana and Danny are going to notice each other. And Santana was not ready for that. Uh, not not that they like connected right off the bat, but whatever that spark was that, you know, Santana's like, you know, uh, really, really just unprepared. Uh, the two of them are going to chat a little bit, talk about the uh, coming out stories that they you know have from when they were. Uh, a little bit younger. Danny's parents hated the fact that she came out, like hated th- that part about her life. They had a big fight about it. So Danny's like, yeah, I took my guitar and I never looked back. So uh, sad that that's her story, but she seems do- to be doing pretty okay about it now, or at least that's how, you know, she's presenting it here to Santana. Uh, Santana is going to, you know, confide back in her about, you know, the story about how her parents were okay with it, but not her abuela. Uh, Rachel is going to end up, this is like, you know, early in the next morning and Rachel's getting ready to leave, leaves Santana and Danny alone there in the diner as the last two remaining, uh, to lock up. And the two of them are going to watch the sun sunrise together and, uh, head back to, uh, well, 
uh, Danny's going to head back to her apartment. They sing Here Comes the Sun, and uh, obviously this connection was pretty pretty strong right off the bat here. They share a nice little innocent first kiss as they part ways. And uh, later on as well, they're going to be seen together in the Bushwick apartment. And, uh, you know, just things seem to be going well. So uh, a very quick way to get these two together, but obviously uh, Demi Lovato was not really, like, locked in as some kind of like uh, I'm going to be here all season kind of thing so if they were going to make a love connection between uh, Danny and Santana it had to be done quickly so uh, we get it started pretty fast and Santana her first genuinely like real relationship uh, or prospect of a relationship outside of the Britney thing and uh, that's pretty important for her so here's Danny Lovato here's Danny Lovato yeah it's um this this is very expedited it happens very quickly. Um, it's the first episode of season five. They just go right in on it. Underutilized character. I mean, we get to to hear Danny sing a few times throughout season five. But, I mean, the relationship, we don't really get too much content from it other than its beginning bits. Um, maybe like a small little, small little bit of an impasse with them when it comes down to how, the, uh, how Pamela Lansbury is being handled once Rachel and Santana get into a fight. And then the breakup even happens off screen. So there really isn't a lot of Danny content to talk about. I mean, she seems nice as sort of like a um, transient girlfriend from uh, Santana's initial breakup from Britney and to getting back together together with Britney. But other than that, there really isn't anything there. I mean, she's there for the band and that's pretty much it. Yeah, she's there to, you know, sing a couple a couple lines and a couple songs, uh, just kind of give Santana a new relationship to work with in this time of, especially, you know, we're here in season five where it's not even like Britney's back in Ohio. She went off to college and we haven't really heard from her much. Uh, she's going to be in a couple of episodes in season five, but definitely not as many as you would expect. And by the time that Santana and Britney are going to come back together is when the relationship is going to end uh, between Danny and Santana. So uh, nothing uh, too significant to like sink our teeth in here but uh it's a really nice you know introduction in the uh, first episode or second episode of the season there uh we get that nice performance of here comes the sun and uh we just get to you know have demi lovato here uh demi slash danny lovato singing a couple of different songs uh alongside of them so it's nice to have her here uh but the bigger not the bigger name uh the bigger character here that is going to show up and actually be kind of more involved in some of the action is uh, Elliot Starchild Gilbert, who makes his debut in Acadie Oregaga. I'm gonna marry the night. I won't give up on my life. I'm a warrior queen, live passionately tonight. That's the best that I can do at an Adam Lambert impression. It's not that good, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> It was really deep down there. You're Mary the Night. Yeah, he's he's like way high up there. But <laughs> I'm gonna marry the I'm night. Gonna marry the night. The night. The night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kills that song. Yeah, Elliot Starchout is um he's here to stay. He's here to slay. He wants to be a part of whatever Kurt and Santana are putting together. Um, and even ends up developing a really cool relationship with her at some points where I feel like it might be dipping into romance, but it never, it never does in Elliot's defense. It never actually does. It seems like it could, it gets like, I feel like it gets, like, I feel like if Blaine were not there, there, then it would just be like, whoo, it would be a thing. But, um, he's this very extravagant performer, uh, plays guitar, uh, sings very well, came to New York 
similarly to uh, Rachel and Kurt, but kind of like more on the Santana of things. He's kind of like more on the fringe. He didn't really go to a to a school. He kind of just came here to like make things work and find his find his tribe and get his art out there and get as much experience as possible and um, just you know sort of like find his own you know find his own little spot of life in New York City. Yeah, Kurt obviously not super into him. As they uh, get going there, he does that audition with Mary the Night, and Kurt's like, yeah, uh, not really what we were looking for. And, you know, we get the sense pretty uh, quickly that Kurt is uh, very intimidated by the star child star power, and uh, Rachel and Santana both are going to kind of call him out on his shit there and be like, "Like, what do, you, what do you mean, like, he's not good for the band? Like, this has got to be more than that. This has got to be something else, some kind of, like, insecurity deep within you, Kurt, that you're not giving him uh, a chance to be in the band. Like, it makes absolutely no sense he's really talented uh and kurt really doesn't have much to much defense to this so he is going to come around and tell uh elliot he can join the band and uh i mean the one of the things that he mentioned to him was like you know you you're not what we're looking for unless you want to like tone it down a little bit because you know star child shows up like ready for the runway uh in like that full-on just like that look that he shows up in uh and he does show up at the diner when he's like i guess uh hoping to run into kurt there and he's dressed uh back to being i guess elliot uh a star child maybe the persona that he goes up for when he's uh you know getting ready to perform uh so i guess we're meeting elliot here for the first time and uh he's he's like Exactly what you just said. Like, he tells Kurt his story of why he wanted to do all of this. And uh, by the end of the episode, you know, Kurt's going to come around. They're going to make the band. We got Pamela Lansbury off the ground here. Uh, Danny, of course, joining as well. They perform some Katy Perry roar together. And the band is all set. Kurt's going to get them a gig uh, coming up very soon in the Puppet Master episode to perform at Callbacks, which none of them are excited about because apparently this is not the place you really want to get your career started as a band. Um, Kurt has that vision of them singing into the groove and he's like no this is going to be great i have it i saw it like i know it's going to be awesome the the performance doesn't go super great for them they show up and uh, there's only one person in the audience but uh luckily for them it ends up being one audience member that's actually pretty important they're gonna uh this person is going to actually book them their next gig at the music hall of williamsburg so great things are happening for the band uh they're off to a, a really hot start there but uh of course that can't last for long because towards this middle part of season five Rachel and Santana a big falling out as all of the things are happening around Funny Girl and the band is really going to take a big hit on it uh, from all of this as the two of them are really going to make you know they're going to start canceling on band practice and just making it impossible for them to all be together uh, so Kurt and uh, and Starchild are really the only ones that are still invested in it and Kurt really is starting to kind of think that uh, you know not, not just is like the band falling apart from the end of uh, from the girls uh He's also like Star Child is going to try to take over the band. Like he wants, to, he wants to be the top of this thing. He wants to take this and run away with it. And it's like, Kurt, what, what is happening here? Why are you getting so insecure about all this stuff? And the entire time, the entire time that Star Child is on this show and in Kurt's life, he has to constantly reassure him that like I am not here to for for malicious reasons. I want to sing. I want to perform. I want to do that with you guys. You seem cool, but for some reason, you keep thinking the worst of me. Yeah, uh, it's like I said before. I feel like there is a lot of like like stuff there potentially between the two of them. So I, I, I mean, we, I really never saw that. I never, I never really quite thought of it in that way. Like, uh, Star Child is going to say to Kurt at some point later on, like. 
you're one of the only gay friends that I have that isn't trying to like get something out of me or hook up with me. Like that's, and I, I don't know. I feel like if Kurt wanted to hook up, what's to stop Kurt from hooking up? Like, well, I don't I, think that he ever did, Like, which is why I'm like, no, nothing ever really happens to cross that line. Like not even like a little bit, but I'm saying that there obviously is chemistry there. Um, so like I, and I mean, Blaine was already going through bullshit on his own. So like it, it just didn't take that much mental work to make the leap. You know what I mean? And I, cause I would probably think the same thing if I were in Blaine's position and be like, Oh, mm, 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 mm. it's star child guy. He's so like, he's so tall and he plays guitar and he sings. Like he does all the things that I do, but maybe a little bit better. Like, I mean, it's Blaine. So he's not used to having competition. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, I guess the closest they come to crossing that, line is uh kurt and Starchild taking that selfie where Starchild like kisses kurt on the cheek and mm-hmm. uh becky jackson's like "Ooh, blaine your boyfriend's cheating on you or whatever the hell she says to him and uh <laughs> that's gonna come back up a little bit later on in the season but oh becky uh yeah the downfall is really in effect here uh because you know rachel is uh fighting with santana she moves out of the bushwick apartment into Starchild's apartment which pisses off santana santana's like you betrayed me and he's like i barely know you we just met like what are you talking talking about uh but he's like i needed the money so that's rachel's uh, you know uh, they're roommates now uh the two of them also perform uh barracuda there in this episode i love that she um, kicks him off his own one bed of the episodes around here <laughs> she's like yeah you can sleep on the couch uh that's you know pro- uh a typical rachel berry there uh but the feud is just going to consi- uh persist here between those two uh star child end up getting you know stuck in the middle as they sing gloria and they're like all right so which one of us was better and he's like what is wrong with you two I'm glad that the feud happened because this ep- this uh, performance is so good. <laughs> it's so good. They are really just unleashing all the stops. Um, it starts like I, I love how like uh, Star Child is initially into it and then like has to take a back seat because Rachel and Santana completely just take over the song. But it it makes for some fantastic art. Like if I were in the diner that night, I would have been tipping everybody. <laughs> I would have been throwing twenties <laughs> because I was entertained. <laughs> I mean, who cares? Maybe Santana just did just step into my uh, omelet, but uh, whatever. <laughs> it's all in the name of art. <laughs> <laughs> if Santana Lopez stepped into my omelet, I would thank her. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm fine. I am fine. But yeah, it's too much drama happening here. Uh, Star Child is like, no, thank you. I want nothing to do with this. You guys work this out. Kurt, I don't know how you do it, uh, but I'll see you guys later. Uh, and they end up, you know, the solution here is that they're going to kick out Rachel and Santana from the band. Pamela Lansbury will become 1-3 Hill as uh, Danny, Star Child, and Kurt will go on to do some performances of their own. Uh, Danny feels a little bit guilty about kicking her own girlfriend out of the band. And Santana's like a little annoyed about that as well, but uh, they seem to still be okay. She understands what happened there, especially, you know, Kurt explains she, he's like, Danny just wants to sing and have fun. And Santana's Mm -hmm. like, all right, whatever. I mean, I get it. Rachel and I are kind of being, you know, terrible, but um, honestly, you know, not uh, like we said earlier, not much to talk about for Danny, uh, as this is going to end up being the last episode she's in here, uh, the trio episode. So she's in the band. Uh, she's dating Santana. They kiss here. They hang out there. And next thing you know, she's gone off to her roller derby uh, league that is going to end up winning some kind of state championship. And that's why that's why one three hill goes on a, a hiatus. And we know that Danny and Santana are going to break up off screen. But uh, thanks for stopping by, Miss Demi Lovato. We appreciate it. I do. I appreciate it. Bye, Demi. It's been nice knowing you, girl. I mean, what was the point in shelling? Because I know that they probably had to. I mean, I mean, it probably wasn't that expensive to get Demi Lovato, but they probably had to, you know, shove a lot, a little bit of money 
what was the point of that if you weren't going to have her around that much? It doesn't make much sense. But, uh, Demi? Okay. Demi's yeah. performing at the inauguration, which is, uh, you know, already happened by the time people listen to this, but that's nice. She is? I didn't know that. I heard about Lady Gaga I didn't, yeah. I, and J-Lo. I didn't know that Demi was going to be there, too. Yes, she will also be there. Uh, wow. This is like, people are going to be listening to this podcast with a new president. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations, guys. How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you feel a brand Congratulations new day? to all of us. Yeah, congratulations to all of us, really. We made it, y'all. We have one more episode with uh, Elliot here, Mr. Starchild, before we're going to say <laughs> goodbye to him now that Danny's already gone. Uh, because after we have that that break in action to go back to Ohio for episodes 100 and 101, uh, we come back to New York for one last uh, time with Elliot here. And uh, Kurt and Blaine are both in New York now. Kurt's been having some struggles with the whole sharing, you know, sharing the space with Blaine. They don't really have much of uh, many, many boundaries set up between them so some last minute pieces of advice with star child who uh is going to tell kurt you know i think you guys are great together i I didn't think it was a great idea when i heard that you were engaged so young but you guys have something pretty special uh so you know that's cool and he even gets to you know spend some alone time with blaine uh star child that is as blaine's gonna show up and you know just uh, call him a glitter rock vampire and you know hope hope that goes well for him is that that's is that the last scene that we see of him is that it yeah, that's it. He, uh, you know, we're going to switch over to the rest of the season being, you know, specifically about the characters that we've brought to New York. So I guess, Adam Lambert, your services are no longer needed here. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy um, that he just kind of kind of similar. He gets to the Demi Lovato treatment with just a couple more episodes. But I mean, they were nice um, as extra adult characters or not well, not quite adult, but, you know, the characters around the age of our protagonists for the New York era um, to sort of like flesh out um, the ranks. They were nice, um, but mostly inconsequential. But I enjoyed all of the vocal performances from both uh, Danny and Starchild. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, Starchild is, is, I think, a actually like a good character that they added in because any of the scenes with him and Kurt are either like entertaining or uh, it's like, you know, he's also kind of like a nice presence in Kurt's life in the same kind of way that Isabel was, where it's just like kind of keeping him calm, giving him some good advice as far as him and Blaine goes. Uh, and that scene with uh, with Starchild and Blaine at the very end of his run here is just very funny. Uh, Blaine coming in and like accusing him of like more happening with him and Kurt and Starchild is like, dude, there's nothing happening there. Uh, here, hold my guitar. And let's sing about Glitter Rock Vampires to calm you down. And uh, Blaine does end up kind of coming around on him a little bit. So, yeah, uh, fun characters there. Uh, Glad that we got those two guest roles. And uh, let's get into the songs of these characters. So we have from these New York City characters here, we have 17 performances here that we're going to talk through today. Uh, Initially, I kind of had them split up by character. That's how they went on the uh, the the surveys that we put out, but just like the season six kids when we did those uh, the, those song rankings, we're, let's put them all together here. We'll just kind of go from the bottom to the top, and uh, I'll let you know along the way. This is the bottom ranked blank song. This is their 
best song, uh, if you care, because I know that you all do so, so much. So we have 17 songs on the rankings here, and also some of them are kind of like breaking the rules. Uh, usually we don't put trios on here. We don't put anything that's like a small group number on here. But some of these people, <laughs> Isabel Wright, uh, only sing in songs like that. So if we want to talk about Isabel Wright songs, we got to break the rules a little bit. So let's let's get to uh, the bottom of this countdown here, and we'll see the number 17 song. We're kicking things off here with a Cassie July song. It is the bottom-ranked Cassie song and the bottom-ranked NYC song. Let's hear it. Number 17, it is a song that Amon is more than happy to see down here at the bottom. Uh, Uptight, everything's all right. It uh, didn't do great with the audience rankings, and Amon did not give it any bonus points over on the judges' side of things. So there it is. And it's such a shame because it's a great Stevie Wonder track. It's just not a good song within the context of the show. It just doesn't make any sense. I've already done my ranting about this. I don't have anything else to say. Me either. It's it's fun. I mean, it doesn't you know, offend me by any means. And, uh, the overall like numbers that the, uh, that the song here did is nowhere near like the bottom 10, the bottom five of like the overall rankings that we have so far. So it's going to be, you know, ending up somewhere in the middle of all of the, in all of the songs once all said and done. So there it is. Number 17. Here is number 16. Oh, it's with your smile so warm. And your cheeks so soft There is nothing for me But to love you But you're never fully dressed Without a smile Who cares what they're wearing From Main Street to Savile Row It's what you wear from ear to ear And not from head to toe Never, never change Keep that breathless charm Won't you please arrange it? Cause I love you Remember you're never fully dressed so Is uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Nina Bonina Brown known for being a singer? <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, she's done with some singing on Hocus Pocus, right? <laughs> but aside from that, I don't I'm not that familiar with uh, the career of Sarah Jessica Parker, but I don't. I think acting is she. If anything, she is an actor who sings and not a singer who acts. Makes sense. 
Well, there is uh, from the makeover episode. We've got the bottom ranked Isabel song here at number 16. Yeah, with uh, with Kurt and Rachel. The way you look tonight mashed up with you're never fully dressed Just without a smile. It's a way you you know, interesting tonight. choice for a mashup, but it did its job. I love um, this performance. It's one of my favorite songs from Annie uh, mashed together with this other great song. So, yeah, I, I love it. It's very corny, very cheesy, but I love it. I'm sad that it's this low. I didn't expect it to be this low, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good songs out here, so or a lot of better songs, I guess. I don't know. There is uh, number 16. Number 15. Until love took a detour Yeah, I'm riding high on top of the world It happened Suddenly it just happened We got the Demi Lovato, Adam Lambert, Combert with, of course, what did I just say? Combination with uh, Chris Colfer as well. And uh, we get the happening there in the trio episode. Yeah, I forgot about this. Even though we just watched this season, what, like maybe three months ago, four months ago? I forgot about this entirely. Um, I I, I guess just because it's it's so fast. It's like this this is the performance that they do once Santana and Rachel are fighting, right? Yeah, Rachel and Santana are both watching the performance from across the room, but they are not joining in on it. Yeah. I mean, it's good. I'm glad that Danny kind of gets to be the frontman for this performance, because usually it's, you know, either the main trio or Star Child sucking up all the all this, <laughs> the screen time. But uh, yeah, uh, good for good for Danny. They all look nice and snazzy in these uh, suit and tie outfits that they have here. And uh, the crowd is uh, seemingly into it. I mean, it's not, you know gonna pump up the jam here or anything but they got they got some attention on them so the happening star child and danny here at number 15 and number 14 we are gonna get to a brody song Change 
right. A change would do you good. Yeah, Brody and Rachel uh, do four duets, essentially, there in season four. One of them is a little bit more Brody, a little less Rachel. But uh, every song that Brody sings is tied into Rachel. I think their voices do sound good together. Not as good as uh, Leah, Michelle, and Jonathan Groff together. But it's a good combo. Um, and I'm a little surprised to see this one this low. But, you know, again, they're all they're all around the same area. I don't know. It's, it is what it is. Ah, did you know that you cannot move to New York without becoming or without getting a a, a makeover? Did you know that? I've heard. Um, it's you don't you're not really a New Yorker until you get that makeover. Is is what the word on the street is? Okay, yeah, and, and that still that still counts for you, even though you live in Long Island. Like if you decide to move to Manhattan or some shit, you have to get a makeover, which is not official. Just yeah. so you know. That's me. I live in Long Island, just living in the island. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know what, bitch. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, somebody from Long Island listens to this podcast and hears you say in Long Island and hears me just continue to it go on and not comment about it. I get kicked out of the island. Error. It was an error. Okay. A common one. Anyway. Uh, a change would do you good there at number 14. Number 13. Let's keep moving here to another song from Miss Cassandra July. If Matt winds up missing... In the near future, guys, I just want you to know I had nothing to do with it. What did I do? Okay. Here's another <laughs> song uh, from Cassie July. This is another one that's kind of breaking the rules here, but uh, we're, we're doing it. Someone like me Out of spite or jealousy I don't steal And I don't lie But I can feel And I can cry Alright, so there's Cassie July Along with Santana Lopez and Unique uh, With There Are Worst Things I Could Do I love this song. I think I talked about this when we um, covered this episode, but I had to perform this song for a miscast car- uh, cabaret, and I was inspired wholeheartedly by Naya's performance of this song. Um, but this is about Cassie. Uh, yeah, so this is, the, this is the song that Cassie sang while she screwed Brody's brains out. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. Lovely. Someone had to do it. Rachel wasn't, Rachel wasn't up for the task. Someone had to do it. No, the performance is good. Um, I like that they tied in all of these storylines, um, three separate storylines together with one song. I don't really, I mean, I feel like Cassie's storyline doesn't really fit with this song that much. I kind of get it from Santana and from uh, from Unique's perspective, not really from Cassie, but that's fine. It's a good performance. 
Yeah, they definitely sound really, really nice together. Uh, there was number 13, There Are Worst Things I Could Do, and we move to number 12, which is going to be our first Star Child performance on the list. And I think after that, I think that we've gotten everybody in at least once, I believe. So here is some Star Child. Barracuda, number 12. What do you got here? Yeah, it's a good performance. The song kind of just feels kind of thrust in there. Like, what's the point of the song? Like, it doesn't really have that much yeah. of a point to it other than, we're roommates now. Let's sing together. <laughs> but they sound good. This is, I mean, this is what? This is to showcase Adam Lambert's voice, you know? Yes. So I do like the performance. Yes, indeed. Uh, really just a chance for Adam Lambert and Leah Michelle to get a song together because it hadn't happened just the mm-hmm. two of them yet. So uh, they give it to them there in uh, that episode 10 of season five. Some Star Child. Barracuda. Barracuda. All right. There's number 12. And moving into number 11, we are back to Miss Cassandra July. I know that jazz stopped the car, no whoopee spot. Where the gin is cold, the piano's hot. It's just a noisy hall where there's a nightly brawl. And all that jazz. And all that jazz. Slick your hair and wear your buckle shoes. And all that jazz, I hear the father dip is gonna blow the blues. And all that jazz, hold on, hun, we're gonna bunny hug. I bought some aspirin down at United Drug. In case you shake apart and want a brand new start to do that jazz. All that jazz at number 11, it's Cassie and Rachel. And all that and jazz. And all that jazz. Yeah. Classic Broadway standard. Uh, Kate Hudson kills the choreography in this. This is probably the... That's probably what I enjoy about the performance the most is um, the choreo. But they sound great. Obviously, Rachel sounds great. Um, and yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good number. Yeah. Not one of the most memorable ones for me. Um, it was kind of like in the middle of all of it, you know, for the audience and for our scores. So, uh, you know, landing mm-hmm. here right outside. Of the top 10 is, uh, you know, sounds good. I probably would have put a couple songs above it, but um, it's still good. And then you get to the end of the song and they start belting out a little bit, you know. Jazz! Jazz! 
But there's number 11, and we move on to the top 10, and we are going to hit here the last Cassie July song. Wow, we have 17 songs, and uh, in the bottom eight songs we had, uh, I'm sorry, bottom seven, no, bottom eight songs, all four of the Cassie numbers uh, were chilling out down here. So uh, sorry to her, but let's get to uh, this song here, uh, number 10. I met a girl in East L.A. In floral shorts as sweet as May She sang in eights and two barrio chords We fell in love, but not in code Mis canciones son de la revolución You know, I, I'm picking up a, uh, a pattern here of uh, I was about to be like, I love this song. And then I was like, you know what? I think I just love any time that Gaga gets included. So ah, America, America. interesting. Um, got a Jennifer Lopez and Gaga mashup and Jennifer Lopez and Gaga are going to be at the inauguration. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. You made it. <laughs> and we're talking about Demi also in this podcast. So look at us just being so topical. <laughs> so topical. Yeah. I wasn't the biggest fan of this mashup in the beginning. I remember like being, because I was such a Gaga stand. I was like, I just want this to be Gaga all the way. But I've grown to like it over the years. Yeah. Well, I like it a lot, so uh, I know I gave it a good rating. I'm sure you probably did. Uh, the, the rating between us turned out to be a four, which means either you gave it a three and I gave it a five, or we both gave it a four. We probably both gave it a four. Um, but who's to say? So there's Cassie not making it very high up the list with all of her songs, but what are you going to do? Uh, lands here at number 10, and let's move into number nine. We are getting back to the Isabel Wright territory here. She's been a bitch tonight. And by bitch, I mean this rain. No cabs, nowhere. So I had to put on the wig and the heels and the lashes and the ear and take a train to the club. So I hope you're up, girl, because we are all coming over. Unlock the door, lower the blinds, light up the smoke machine, and put on your heels, because I know exactly what we need. Let's have a kiki. I want to have a kiki. Lock the door tight. Let's have a kiki. Mother. I'm going to let you have it. Let's have a kiki. I want to have a kiki. Dive. Turn. Work. Let's have a kiki. We're going to serve. And work. And turn. And hop, hop, honey. 
Kiki is a party for calming all your nerves. We're spilling tea and dishing just desserts when they deserve. And though the sun is rising, few may choose to leave. So shave that lid and we'll all bid adieu to your ennui. Let's have a Kiki. I want to have a Kiki. Lock the door tight. Let's have a Kiki. Mother. I'm going to let you have it. Let's have a Kiki. I want to have a Kiki. Dive. Turn. Work. Let's have a Kiki. Shut up, Rachel. <laughs> Let's have a kiki. I thought for a second you were gonna like put it on that spot. I was like, <laughs> like turn it off immediately. Oh, like right before she did it. Right no, before. I was like, let me get her yeah. in there for that. <laughs> Turkey Lurkey time. Let's have a Kiki. Uh, we had a lot of fun revisiting this one back around Thanksgiving time. And uh, I'm just always happy anytime it comes up because this is just some of that ridiculous Glee content that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, as Isabel Wright leads the way here with uh, lots of guests and uh, a lot of uh, fun times here. It's Turkey Lurkey time. I love how Shangela's like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Turkey lucky time, bitch. <laughs> as as I was like going through and writing notes, and I was on uh, the Brody Weston page, I'm pretty sure that it said like like during this episode, like just because they they write down like every note about everything that happens for a specific character in an episode, and I'm pretty sure it said something like Brody asks Kurt what a kiki is or something like he didn't know what was going on, and I'm like, okay, it's part of the song, like <laughs> not to add that to like his character <laughs> development. <laughs> It's like, what's a kiki? A kiki is a party for calming all your nerves. For calming all your nerves. Spilling tea and serving just desserts. Okay, yeah. Uh, There is uh, number nine here of the New York City Characters Countdown. And uh, let's keep it moving into number eight. And we're back to Brody here for uh, another Brody duet. When you were here before Couldn't look you in the eye Just like an angel Your skin makes me cry Oh, you float like a feather Number eight there, Brody Rachel. Creep, 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 creep. I'm surprised it's so low. I, I expected it to be in the top five at least, because got some radio head, bitch. He's running out the door. I just love that song so much. It's so good. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, so good. it's definitely not even my top two of Brody songs. The ones that I do like the most are at the, uh, the top of at least his specific portion of the countdown so um but it's still good it's a good performance they sound 
good. They're running through the halls, getting to each other in this Niata auditorium and singing on the stage together. Mm-hmm. And they're about to break up and go their separate ways. I'm pretty sure the Niata auditorium is just the <laughs> McKinley, McKinley auditorium. <laughs> auditorium. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. There's no need for multiple auditoriums. But uh, who's who's to say? Who knows? So there is uh, Creep. Did you have anything else on it? I, you are, uh, You just like the song? I just love the song. What's better, the original or the Glee? Uh, there are a lot of good covers. I, I don't know if, mm, I don't know. I like the original, but there's a lot of good covers of, their, of this song. So I don't know if the original is the best. I don't know if the Glee cover is the original cover, but there's some good covers of this song out there. So, right. yeah, I'll, I'll okay. leave it at that. <laughs> Alrighty then. Number seven. Let's keep it moving. Let's bounce back to some Star Child. Explain all the feelings that you're making me feel. My heart's in overdrive, and you're behind the steering wheel. Touching you. got two you know star child and kurt duets uh that's just the two of them and uh this one did take the lower ranking when it comes to those two songs but still pretty good overall uh being number seven here in the top half of the list and uh yeah star child kurt the chemistry that you were talking about they believe in a thing called love <laughs> not my favorite of this of the uh, of the songs that they sing together but uh it's a good one it is definitely a good one it's a it's a it's a power song, man. I believe in a thing called love. Ooh, ooh. It's just, yeah. it's, you know, completely impossible to go wrong with any Adam Lambert song. And I could probably, I'm sure there's like Adam, actual Adam Lambert songs that are not the best. He's had a, you know, decently, uh, you know, uh, he's had a decent career so far to this point with his own music. But um, I don't know, just feel like it's hard to go wrong with a voice like that. So. There it is at number seven, some Star Child. And we're going to get to number six being, uh, you know, not that there were many Danny songs to choose from, but uh, out of the two that we had here on this list, uh, we're going to get to the top Danny song, I guess you could call it here, uh, at number six overall.
Sun, 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 here it comes. Yeah, you guys know how much I love this song. Uh, I've talked about it like 400 <laughs> times by now. But uh, here comes the sun with Danny and Santana here at number six. I could have put it a little bit higher, but that's uh, Dan Tana. good enough. Dan Tana, Danny, Danny Lovato. Yeah, um, everybody loves the Beatles, right? Well, except the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good cover. Those. They sound great together. It's, they sounds like a lullaby um, with this particular arrangement. Um, Complements mm-hmm. it with that guitar. Yeah, good yes. choice. Good choice here. Number six. All right, we're going to keep on moving to number five. We have Isabel Wright being highlighted here. And I probably should stop saying who it is because that kind of takes away suspense. But number five. Up a steep and very narrow stairway to the voice like a metronome. I feel like if this was me before this rewatch, uh, if this is any, you know, more casual Glee fans out there, they're probably like, really? This is, what is this doing up here? Yeah, this is a song that I just, you know, fell in love with for the most I ever have on this recent rewatch. Because if you go through the whole thing, obviously we only played a little portion of it, but you get a very beautiful uh, verse there from Santana. Everybody kind of gets some time in on this song with Kurt, Rachel, Santana, and Isabel there up on the stage. And, you know, it's kind of interspliced with all of these different scenes of uh, them and their young ballet dreams of, you know, being a lot younger, whatever. Um, So it's just a really nice number. And the audience, I mean, I say that when I started here, with because the audience did have it like closer to the bottom like i think at like number 12 or so but both of us gave it i'm pretty sure like the top marks you could so uh that's how it ended up up here at number five so if this is a song that you're not the most familiar with uh either go back and watch the episode or watch the video again or whatever it is because it is a really nice slow beautiful little uh thing that they put together here with these four yeah i mean it's one of those songs that like if you're not familiar with it or um musical theater isn't your cup of tea it's a sleeper song right like it's the song that you kind of wish that you could just skip to the next scene um but i think what saves it aside from the fact that i'm a musical theater person but what saves it i think for some people that end up enjoying it regardless of that is the backstory that we do get with rachel kurt and santana and a little bit with izzy as well um it's just nice to see the four of them up on that stage reminiscing about what it means to them to be an artist and where they found and fell in love with with dance at such a young age Um, and how that's manifested itself in what they're doing now as adults. So, um, yeah, it's a a really cool number. I like it a lot. And I love to get to hear Sarah Jessica Parker sing 
She said, Izzy, do you want to dance? And I'd say, Daddy, I would love to. (laughs) No, that's really good. (laughs) I am a big fan of this one. Like I said, it's uh, a newer appreciation for it, but an appreciation nonetheless. Uh, Moving on to number four on the New York City Countdown. Rule number one is that you gotta have fun. At least I think I do. Cause this is how to be a heartbreaker. Boys, they like a little danger. I fucking love this song. Uh, if anybody did not listen along with us as we went through, if you somehow just jumped in on oh the character studies. Oh my God, studies, here we go. Uh, I'm not going to tell the go. full story, but I just here love this go. song a lot. I just really enjoy this song. That's all I was going to say. I wasn't going to give the long version of it again. Let me live. Uh, I love this song a lot. And it, is here at number four. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, but I am glad to see it like top five. Glad to see it up here. It would have been higher if Amon loved it as much as I did, but sadly that's not the case for me. So uh, number four, how to be a heartbreaker with some Brody and Rachel. Uh, the true star of this song for me is the woman that Brody dances with. She's killing it, yo. <laughs> she may be a little older, but she knows her way around the block as it were, or the hotel room. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, this number is this number's good. Um, I definitely was not as high on it um, before we started doing this podcast, but I've grown to appreciate it. I never disliked it. I always thought it was a good number, but I never, it just never was, you know, it didn't vibrate me um, then, but it does a little now. So it's a good, it's a good song. Nice right. little pop record. I am a big fan and I will not stop talking about it until forever. So... There's number four. Uh, not the top Brody song. The top Brody song is still to come. Uh, and this is not the, st- the top Star Child song, but uh, we do have a Star Child song up next here at number three. So let's hear it. There's a girl in the backyard banging on a drum, sitting in a junk pile, laughing at the sun, singing, oh, 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 I just want to be a rock star. There's a boy thinking of her playing his guitar. Searching for the answer, buried in his heart, thinking, ah, 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 is there anybody 
song so much rock star oh what do you got damn adam uh it's just not fair how can people be so talented man it's just right. not fair we have reached the amon jealousy portion of the podcast everybody i'm glad you made it this far into the show with us <laughs> oh my god all right well never mind then <laughs> <laughs> it happens every episode we get to the point where we get to the top songs and uh so there is uh number three Rockstar with Star Child and Kurt. Top two. Top two. We got one Star Child song. We got one Brody song. Let's see. Do you want to guess or should we just do it? Oh, we know what it is. What do you mean? It's like, going to be wanna... Give Your Heart a Break is number one. Okay. Because it comes from episode four. Come on. It does. I'll be All right. If it's not. Number two on the countdown here. Let's play it. Number two. The day I wow, that's crazy. Y'all fucked up. You told me you'd never fall in love. But now that I get you, I know fear is what it really was. Now here we are, so close, yet so far. How did I pass the test? When will you realize that, baby, I'm not like the rest? Don't Uh, they definitely effed up here. I mean, it's uh, it's a great song from a great episode with a bunch of great songs in there. So I don't know if that's where it gets lost in the shuffle, but the numbers on the audience side of this, which did weigh it down from being the top song, uh, they actually had it at their fourth favorite song of all of the songs in this countdown here. So i uh, going to have to disagree with you guys there. I don't know what you're uh, missing, what you're forgetting, but this is some good stuff. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I yeah. <laughs> Great analysis. Yeah. Come on, y'all. Come on. Come on. Like, I mean, I just, I, 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 I don't quite understand it, but it's fine. I'll take number two. Fine. It's not that bad. This could be way worse than it actually is. It should be number one, but fine. Number two. Whatever. Yes. Number two here on the countdown. The top Brody song, so that makes sense. Uh, number one on Brody's countdown for himself, for that specific character. Uh, but yeah, uh, Give Your Heart a Break deserves a little bit better, or a lot of bit better, but whatever. I'll have to, uh, you know, I'll have to live with it. Uh, number one song, top song from these characters from the New York City characters era, whatever you would call it. Here it is, number one. I won't give up on my life. I'm a warrior queen. Passionately tonight I'm gonna 
I'm gonna lace up my boots Throw on some leather and cruise Down the street that I love In my fishnet gloves I'm a sinner Then I'll go down to the bar But I won't cry anymore I'll hold my whiskey up high Kiss the bartender twice I'm a loser All right, <laughs> Kurt being all up in his feelings there as uh, Starchild knocks it out of the park with Marry the Night. And uh, I mean, that episode too, Katie Uragaga, all of those songs are smashed just like in the breakup to me. So there's number one. Yeah, swinging from the chandelier before Sia made it cool, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, this is a good performance. It is. Uh, I'm kind of agreeing with Kurt. That I don't think it's number one, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. He does Gaga justice. I'm sure if Gaga has seen this or heard this, which I'm sure she probably has at some point, she would probably like, yes, Adam, slay mama. <laughs> well, I don't want to bury the, bury the lead here, I guess, on this, that not only is it the, the top song here, um, I'm not even going to ask you because you'd probably be like, no, probably not. And then the answer is actually going to be yes, that this song made it into the top 10 of our overall countdown. So really? It did. It had some pretty good numbers. Uh, so both of us gave, I Please mean, don't tell be surprised. Me it's 10. Both of us gave it really good numbers. Uh, I mean, you and I gave it the highest possible rating that we could have for Star Child performances when we did that ranking. Uh, both of us gave it the top marks. And the audience gave it very high numbers as well. It is not number 10. It is not number 9. It is not number 8. Number 7. Number 6. Not number five, but it is number okay, four. Okay, y'all, this, no, this is ridiculous. Mm-mm. I'm going to need for us to keep going so that this gets rectified because, yes, this is a good number, but overall, Glee, top four songs, no. Well, keep in mind, like, uh, something to keep in mind uh, with a lot of this is just that, like, none of, like, Mary the Night wasn't being put up against maybe this time, which it is now currently on top of in the countdown. It wasn't like, you know, rate all of these together. They were rating Star Child songs. But with that said, it's still the average is the average. Like, when people were going through the Star Child songs and, you know, picked out, you know, that, that button that said, I stand this song, iconic top tier, way more people were, I guess, clicking it for that song than they were for all of the songs underneath it. So, uh that's still how this is all working which is why i'm like we need to continue on because i can't deal with that that doesn't sit well in my spirit at all (laughs) i don't like i don't i don't don't, i'm not gonna hate on the song by any means i love this song i do agree that i think it probably doesn't need to be as high as it is but i'm not i'm not hating it it's uh so the the new top 10 uh we have will you love me tomorrow head over feet sitting there at number 10 waiting for something to knock it out very soon uh nasty where the nation also will be on its way out sure within a couple of episodes new york state of mind at number eight true colors at seven singing in the rain umbrella at six maybe this time at five marry the night at number four landslide three thriller heads will roll at two bohemian rhapsody at number one Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, 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 fix it, fix it, Jesus. All right, at least well, Bohemian Rhapsody is at number one. <laughs> yes. So that is what we have for today for the New York City characters with the Star Child, some Danny, some Cassie, some Brody. 
Carmen Thibodeau, which I'm so sorry that we don't have any songs to include for her, and Isabel Wright. So I'm glad we stopped down to talk about those people for a bit. Uh, I believe we'll probably bounce over back to some main characters sometime soon, uh, whether it's next or probably next. I'm sure we'll get to one of those Glee kids in the next set, but we haven't quite figured out where we're going yet, but we will. And uh, here in this feed, this is going to be the last episode that you have on this current day of drops. Uh, If you're listening to it later on down the road, then you have whatever is next in your feed uh, available for you. Uh, Either way, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Aman will tell you where you can follow us, but that's all that I have for today. And uh, we'll see you guys with whatever is next. And uh, again, congratulations to us all for this new world that we're living in post-inauguration. How cool. Yes, yes, yes. We're moving on up in 2021. Hopefully things become better from here. Make sure that you're following us at Quiet Room Pod on Twitter and on TikTok. Follow us individually. I'm Edamon Adwin. Matt's at Matt Lavori. Leave us star ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you along on the show. That's it for Matt. That's also it for me. Until next time, guys, we will see you later. embarrassed to share the stage with you you you. just rocked it so hard (laughs) thank you for your time star child but it's not a fit are you insane i'm sorry would you mind just stepping outside for a moment while i bitch slap some sense into my friend